Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house, was sitting by the sea. Great multitudes gathered to him, so that he got into a boat, sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell by the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil, yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall be more given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. You see. We are now coming to a section in Matthew's Gospel account where he recounts some of Jesus' parables. Of the 30 parables that Jesus taught, Matthew contains 10 parables that no other gospel writer uh, refers to. Now, what is a parable? Well, a parable, parable is a metaphor, it's a figure of speech that implies a comparison between two objects or ideas. We could say that a parable is an extended metaphor designed to describe some common action or a common object in order to illustrate a spiritual truth. So it's a comparison of objects or actions to illustrate a spiritual truth. Now, depending upon whether you are the elect of God or not, Parables will either reveal or conceal truth to you. It is not what is commonly thought that all the parables 
were uh, simple stories designed to help people understand. As we're going to see, for some, it was designed to keep them in darkness. And so we're going to see that as we deal with Jesus' parables, we are once again brought to see the relationship between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, or we may say, man's freedom of will. Now the fact that God chooses some from the foundation of the world to be his elect, which he does, to be the recipients of his grace and mercy, doesn't mean that Christianity is Greek fatalism, a philosophy of life which taught that things will be what they will be and there's nothing you could ever do about it. No, men are responsible for their moral decisions, and Jesus makes that very clear. Jesus leaves, we're told here, he leaves the house where he was teaching, goes by the seashore, multitudes were gathering to him in order to, to face them and to speak to this larger multitude, he gets out into a boat, and he sits down and teach, uh, teaches out of this boat. Sitting down and teaching was how uh, the ancients taught, unlike standing with you seated. No, usually the teacher sat and the multitude stood. You want to reverse that? <laughs> but Jesus is teaching from this boat, and he begins to teach them these parables. Now, even though in our text here that Jesus... Uh, <clears throat> begins with the parable of the sower and the seed. Uh, and that, that parable preceded, or it precipitated, when Jesus told the parable, his disciples come to him and say, well, why are you teaching in parables? Now, this was a method that Jesus chose to teach. And even though the parable actually preceded Jesus' explanation, I'm going to reverse it to deal with the nature of why Jesus spoke in parables. Uh, and then next week, I'm going to deal with the actual parable of the sower and the seed. We're told upon completion of, of telling this parable that his disciples in verse 10, if you look at verse 10, they say to him, Why do you speak in parables? And what Jesus reveals is quite interesting. It's an astonishing comment, actually, in verse 11, because he says, To you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been granted. You, my, my disciples, who have shown receptivity to who I am, I'm going to reveal truth to you, but to the others... My parables are designed to conceal truth to them. Now, when Jesus says about mysteries, he says to you, it's been granted to know the mysteries of God. A mystery is something that you and I would never, ever understand unless God gives us the ability to understand. That is a biblical mystery. Mysteries have to be revealed truth. 
They're not the exercise of great intellect to discern. No, uh, mysteries are revealed to those whose hearts are receptive. And so, but to others, God simply leaves them where they are. He simply leaves them in a deadened state, a state where their minds are darkened, and he leaves them in a state where they are will do or will carry out whatever their evil heart desires. And he says, you, you are different. You're my sheep. You're my elect. Others who have spurned me, this is a judgment upon them. And so there is what we see in Scripture. There is a judgment that comes upon men, according to the Lord Jesus. For some, it is an increase of abundance of grace and mercy. But for others, it's a judgment of condemnation, whereby what they have, what little they have, will be taken away. We're going to see in some of Jesus' parables, he's going to teach that, if, uh, for example, when we get later on in Matthew to the parable of the talents, those who don't exercise the use of those talents, he will take away from the one and give it, who was given one who did not use it, and he will give it to the one who exercised the greater diligence. So, Jesus, it says here in our text, if you notice right here in verse 12 and 13, notice what Jesus says. For whoever has to him, more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now this is uh, what we're going to see, is that as the scripture conveys to us, the gospel, whenever it's preached, it is going to be a savor of life to those who have life, and it will be a savor of death unto death unto other people. It's one or the other. And when the word is spoken, it will either have a, a, a positive effect in people's lives where they will hear and they will see, they will understand, or they will have no capacity to understand. And so that's what happens when the gospel is preached. It meets with differing uh, receptivity in the audience, depending where they are spiritually. And so Christ is always dealing with two kinds of people. Those, for example, first he's dealing with those who consciously are ignorant, who have willfully closed their eyes to Christ's plain teaching, and therefore they saw his miracles, they heard his preaching, but it meant nothing to them, i.e. the Pharisees. They saw the miracles, they heard his plain teaching, it did nothing. Actually, it created an antagonism in them. And so, in other words, while seeing, they did not see. 
They saw the miracles, but they didn't understand the purpose or the, what was meant by these as signs and wonders to demonstrate that he was the Messiah. They saw it, but they did not have its effect in leading them to the Messiah. They heard, but they didn't understand what he was saying. And so this is why Jesus says what he does in verse 13. Look at verse 13 here. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. So many will hear the gospel sound. They will see the gospel light in a sense, but it never reaches their hearts. And therefore, it has no effect upon them spiritually to lead them to that Savior. Consequently, for these people, God takes away any chance for them to be affected positively by the gospel message. We're going to see that in the parable next week when we look at it in detail, uh, of the, especially of the seed that's sown by the wayside. He doesn't even have a chance. Satan, uh, we see the birds come and they'll pick it up. He doesn't even have a chance. For some, it doesn't, even have, it doesn't do anything in their lives whatsoever. So what we see here, God takes away any chance for those who have hardened hearts. You know, it's a great tragedy for the Spirit to no longer strive with men. And when God gives them over to the darkness. You know, the Scripture does say that there comes a time when God's Spirit will no longer strive with men. The Scripture points out, you know, in saying that, mind you, the Scripture says that God is long-suffering. God is patient, according to the Scriptures. God was patient with the, uh, the nations in Canaan when Israel was in bondage for 400 years. And the Scripture says the nations did not learn anything in 400 years. So when God delivered Israel, and he used Israel as the means of judgment, it was God's judicial judgment on those nations who for 400 years did not learn. And so what we see here, God gives some men over to the darkness. His spirit will no longer strive for them. You know, Jesus concealed the truth from those who had hardened their hearts against the truth. And he reveals the truth to those who are eager to learn the truth. Now, we're going to see there is, uh, in a certain extent, there is mystery. There is perplexity as to God who must show mercy and God who holds men responsible for not responding as they ought to. 
And so on one hand we see, always through the scripture, this tension between the sovereignty of God and man's accountability. You know, both are great truths that the Bible affirms. And you can never pit one against the other. You can never use one over against the other. And we can, uh, to the extent, as we have said, can never use the sovereignty of God to nullify man's responsibility because you don't see that. There are so many places in Scripture, and even in this text, we're going to see whose fault is it who doesn't believe. It's our fault. It's men's fault. And yet, at the same time, we do know that it is God who, out of the allotment of mankind, who all deserve death, He gives grace and mercy to some. How you reconcile those two, I don't fully understand. But it doesn't matter. We've got to affirm the great sovereignty of God, and we have to likewise affirm man's responsibility and our obligations before a holy God. So for those who are not given the privilege to hear and to see, they cannot blame God for their judgment upon them. Actually, they brought it upon themselves. In fact, when Jesus said, while seeing they do not see and hearing they don't understand, Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet to confirm what he just said. So let's turn to the passage that Jesus is quoting in Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6 and begin at verse 9. Let me preface this by saying, Isaiah has this vision of being before the holy God in the first seven verses, where the prophet is undone. He views himself as a man of unclean lips as he's in the very presence of God and the holy angels. And then we're going to see that God will touch, as it were, the tongue, the lips of Isaiah in order for Isaiah to be his prophet to a rebellious nation. And keep in mind that, I, that Israel is a rebellious nation that Isaiah is going to be sent to. I would not have desired the ministry of Isaiah. Because here's what it is. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell his people... Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until cities are devastated. And without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. 
So Isaiah is sent to a nation that was abandoning the Lord. And he says to Isaiah, speak to them, Isaiah. But when you speak to them, they're not going to, they're not going to listen. They're not going to hear. So what's, what am I going to do? I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to devastate their cities. That's exactly what Isaiah was a, was a prophet. Uh, and he had a ministry, not only to the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is going to be overrun by the Assyrians and be carried off into captivity. And, but there will be, as always, even in the midst of God's judgment, there's a stump that's going to be left. And this stump is the holy seed. This stump is the remnant. The faithful church will be preserved while in the midst of all this destruction going around them. God will always preserve a people for himself. Ancient Israel, they had to be exiled due to their hardness of heart. One of the minor prophets said, this is a terrifying verse, when God says, Because you forsook my law, I will forsake your children. And that's exactly what happened. And their sin, their refusal to repent, despite all that God had done for them, Despite the prophets being sent to them over and over telling them to repent, they did not repent. They did not listen to God's prophets. They did not listen to his preachers. Consequently, he would send them away. And what God does, it's a judicial hardness that comes upon them. Ancient Israel had to be exiled due to its hardness of heart. And this was a type of what was now happening in the days of Jesus. Remember, Jesus had just told the generation, he says, You are an evil generation. You seek an evil generation, seek signs. I told you who I am. You are to believe me, but you, you haven't obeyed. You haven't listened. You haven't seen what is obvious. I've done the works of the Messiah. Why don't you understand I'm the Messiah? We're told in the Scriptures that has to do with when Israel was in captivity in, in Egypt. Remember, we're told that God... Hardened Pharaoh's heart. In other words, he gave him over to his own sins. The scripture makes clear Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and therefore God hardened his heart, meaning God simply gave him over to his sinful ways. That's what God did. There is then a judicial judgment of God whereby God punishes those who do not heed. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 66. Now I want you to take a look at verses 3 through verse 5. Isaiah 66 beginning in verse 3. 
But he who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like the one who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering is like one who offers swine's blood. He who burns incense is like the one who blesses an idol. And they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. So, I will choose their punishments, and I will bring on them what they dread. Because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. And they did evil in my sight, and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you, who exclude you for my name's sake, have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But they will be put to shame. Now, I want to just bring attention to the fact that because of their idolatry, he says, I'm going to choose your punishment. He says, I called, but no one answered. Now, whose fault is the punishment coming upon them? It's their fault. They're not listening. They're not heeding. They can never blame God. They can't blame God. Well, we're not one of the alike. They can't do that. They are, they are held responsible for their own sins. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 81. And look at verses 11 and 12. Now watch carefully what comes first. 81, Psalm 81, beginning at verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So, I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. That is a judicial judgment punishment. Because you didn't listen, and because you didn't obey, Therefore, I will give you over to the stubbornness of your own heart. That is exactly what Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees and with basically the multitudes that were listening. Because he spoke this parables to the multitudes. We learn a truth from Proverbs 29 verse 1. Here's what that verse says. He who, having been often reproved, hardens his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. He who, having been often reproved, hardens his neck, and shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. One time in a session dealing with a young man who was indeed rebellious in his lifestyle. The elders told him this verse. We have warned you over and over 
about these sins. And I will never forget the word spoken that says, He who often is reproved, but ignores it, will suddenly be cut off. Don't let that happen to you. Because we, you have been warned and warned. You have sinned and kept sinning and sinning. It may come to the point when God just says, enough is enough, and it's over. Whose fault is it? It's their fault. We have a responsibility when we hear the word to respond the way God tells us to respond. Turn with me to Ezekiel. And look at Ezekiel chapter 18. And let's start at verse 20. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, and observes all my statutes, and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions, which he has committed, will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness, which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? And then look at verse uh, 32 of Ezekiel 18. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. But preacher, I don't know if I want to be elect. Well, let's settle it. Believe in Jesus. Can you see the light of the gospel or not? Do you have ears to hear when the word is preached? Does it go into your heart or not? You know, the the reality is this. You know, in all of these passages, the onus is upon the listener, right? It really is. We can never say it's anybody else's fault but our own for not believing in Jesus. Because there's so much of the scripture says in this regard. But there is a time because of the stubbornness of men's hearts that sometimes God gives them over to their sinful ways. And that's exactly what happened. Now, I want you to turn back to our passage in Matthew. Jesus, in quoting Isaiah's passage in Isaiah 6, puts it in a way to emphasize he doesn't quote it exactly as Isaiah says and that's not an uncommon thing by the way in the New Testament Jesus quotes Isaiah in such a way to put the greater responsibility upon those who are not responding as they are 
Because notice what he says there. Look at verse 14 and following. How Jesus restates Isaiah's prophecy. He says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will, you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people have become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Now who's closed their eyes? They have closed their eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. It's like God says, I'll heal you, I will heal you, if you see and you repent. So repent, but you won't. Why are they not responding? Because they have hardened their hearts. And the the person who keeps hardening their heart is spurning the Spirit of the Lord, as it were. And there will come a time when God says, I'll just leave you to yourself. We've mentioned this before. One of the things that's clear about the prophets and and it's brought out in the minor prophets Amos brings this out he says there's coming a time when there will be a famine of the word of God meaning the worst thing that can ever happen to a culture is for God to remove faithful preachers that's the worst thing that will ever happen when that happens It is a sign of God's judgment of such magnitude that the end is shortly to fall. Because without the preaching of the gospel, it says, as Romans says, how will they hear unless there's a preacher to tell them? When when there's no faithful preaching going on, God's now allowing, he's taking the word away from them, so no one can hear. He's given them up. He's given them up. I fear this is where we are in this nation soon. That God is removing, not raising up the faithful preachers. And what we see, what is happening is God's judgment upon us to the magnitude that He is just giving us over to our sinful ways. In one sense, it's frightening. But then in another sense, it ought to be encouraging to the church because God will always protect His, His bride, His true church. And He will see us through it. So that's one group. The group who is hardened that God gives them over. But there's another group. Look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And then he says, you are a special lot, talking to his disciples, 
He says, did you know that there were many generations, there were many godly people who longed to see what you see and never saw it? Moses, Abraham, the righteous down through the generations, never saw the Messiah. You see him. you walking with me. I am the Messiah. You understand. You are a blessed people. You are a blessed generation, my disciples, the inner disciples, because you see and you respond. You are a privileged lot. And today, we're a privileged lot. We live on the other side of the cross. We live on the other side of the resurrection. And we, we have seen throughout church history all of God's de- dealings with people and his, his promises being brought to fruition. You know, what is clear here when he says, they will be left to their own devices, but you, you understand. You know, it's God who regenerates hearts. To the elect of God, they have been given grace to hear and to see. So if you today, if you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're really, truly seeking to live for Him, are you thankful for that grace? Are you thankful for that mercy? Because you ought to be. Now, the worst thing we can do is take it for granted. We should never take for granted God's grace and mercy. You know, the remarkable thing about Jesus' ministry is that there was always power with his words. His word had authority, and hence it had power. The spoken word was the instrument by which Jesus worked his miracles. With his word, he cast out demons. With his word, nature's fury subsided when they were on the Sea of Galilee. With his word, the dead came to life physically. And with his spoken word, a repentant thief on the cross finds forgiveness as the Savior is dying. The power of the spoken word then was carried forth with his his apostles in the same way. Sometimes the apostles healed the sick, they cast out demons, but it always had the power to cleanse and to restore people who were spiritually dead. To open the eyes of those who were spiritually blind. I know we've looked at this passage before, but we're going to look at it a little bit different angle. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. 
For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And here's the glory of this passage. We have mentioned numerous times that souls are deadened in Christ and they are in bondage to their sin and they are in bondage to Satan. And it says that Satan has blinded their minds from un- of the unbelieving. 2 Timothy 2 says that men are held captive by Satan to do his will. If we are going to see the light, God has to come miraculously into our hearts and bind the strong man, Satan, and free us. Now there's the sovereignty of God coming in. I've been preaching a lot about man's responsibility. But here's the the sovereignty of God coming through. You've got to be delivered from your sins. You've got to be delivered from Satan. And you can't do it yourself. You just can't do it. This is where the mercy and grace of God is magnified. And Paul says, we're preaching. And the point here is, in my preaching, do you see the light of the gospel or not? And in his preaching, some saw the light and others didn't. Just like when he was in Philippi, the first convert in Europe, Lydia, the seller of purple fabrics. It says, while she was hearing Paul preached, it says, and she was a worshiper of God, she was a God-fearer, she went to the synagogue, but she didn't understand. She was not converted yet until the text says God opened her heart to to see that which Paul had been preaching. In other words, here she was in the synagogues hearing but not hearing, seeing but not seeing. But the day came when the Apostle Paul came and when he spoke, says God opened her heart to what? She finally saw the light of the gospel. And so what we see here, and and you see that's the whole nature of the the ministry of God's preachers and Paul's. Turn with me again to Acts 26. Paul is recounting before King Agrippa his conversion and Jesus' words to him. And he recounts Jesus' words to him on, on the road to Damascus when Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus, But arise and stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the dominion of Satan to God. In order that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Was Saul of Tarsus looking to be saved that day on the road to Damascus? No. 
He's the great persecutor of the church. He was on his way to arrest more Christians in Damascus. It's interesting how this play between the blinding light when Jesus revealed himself, the blinding light that struck him, and he became physically blind for a time, and it was Ananias who has to restore his sight. So there's this actual physical blinding in the presence of Jesus. And then it's as if he says, Okay, Saul of Tarsus, I have appointed you to be a witness, to be my apostle to the Gentiles. Was that in the mindset of Saul of Tarsus to be, to become a Christian? No. Was he going to be the great apostle to the Gentiles? Was that what he was thinking? No. But Paul later says, I was predestined for my mother's womb to this ministry. There's the sovereignty of God. Who picks out this man to be the recipient of his grace and mercy. And then in his preaching, what's going to be the impact of Paul's preaching? Through that preaching, men will turn from darkness to light. They're going to turn from Satan to Christ. And as we've already seen, you cannot do that in your own strength. As Isaiah says, no one arouses themselves to take hold of thee. But what is the gospel said to be in Romans 1? The dunamis of God, the power, the dynamite of God. When God goes to save, He will take that preached word and He will save men. And so earlier in the message, I've been emphasizing man's responsibility, right? Which is true. Here in the latter part of the message, I've been emphasizing the sovereignty of God, which is true. Both truths are in the Word of God. Both must be upheld. I must respond the way God tells me to respond. Jesus told people, repent and believe in the gospel. Turn from your sins. So the question always comes down, which group are we? Are we the ones who hear and see, but really don't see? Been in church for a long time, but really doesn't do much for us? Or are we those who really do hear and really do see? And realize we've been saved by His mercy and grace. And we're thankful. Two great truths that the Scripture maintains always. We are in either one of those groups. And we're going to see next week in the parable of the sower and the seed, we're going to, we're, we are all either one of these soils. You better be the last soils we're going to see. Let's pray.